As the word cloud comes up and reminds us of what we are, uh, we are a Bible-believing church. Uh, we are gospel-driven. We see the value of worship. We want to come and spend time with God. Uh, scripture says, where two or three are gathered, uh, there I am with them. And when you look around the peripheral things, uh, we would like to see young and old meeting with God. We would love that when you come together, your attitude is friendly, it's caring, uh, but it's also missional. That we would leave this place not the same, but that we would take that Great Commission seriously. As we go, uh, we were going with the Lord and bringing to light the things that he's made known. Today I'm actually be preaching from some of the words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, I publicly wanted to go on record of thanking our brother Dave, David Linden for preaching last week. Uh, I pray that you didn't experience what I had uh, when I stood in the pulpit up at Cub Hill. Uh, it was really quite interesting. Uh, about two minutes before I began to open the word to, to give the text, the electricity went off. I didn't know if that was an omen from God or whether that was a satanic maneuver. Uh, but then the humorous part of it, since they, they did have windows in that church, so if the lights went off here, it would be quite different. You'd all get your cell phones out and we'd have lights, you know. Uh, but in that church, they had windows that opened up, so you still had light. Uh, but there was no microphone. And, uh, and when, when the sermon was over at the end of the prayer, uh, within about 30 seconds, the power came back on. It's a good thing that the word of God is quick and powerful and it's not dependent upon electricity. It is not dependent upon our uh, eloquence or our, uh, or our great presentation. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is able to pierce, as Hebrews 4.12 says, to the inmost parts of your being. To divide between soul and spirit, uh, bone and marrow. It is something that gets to your very core. And today we're talking about the core values. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking uh, at this latter part of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verses 24 through 27. These are words that I'm sure you've heard before. But let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Everyone then who hears these words, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it did fall. And great was the fall of it. Lord, I pray that you'll add your blessing to the reading of the word. We pray that we will not be hearers only, but doers of the word. Or as James says, that we will be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Lord, I pray that the word of God will change us as it is absorbed into us. Jesus taught us so well, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, these words are before us. And I pray that you might stir our hearts, you might teach us, in Jesus' name, amen. 
You'll, you have heard the phrase, and you'll hear it again, to God be true. And this has been my plea to believers, both young and old alike, to, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Those words at the beginning, that you should be steadfast and immovable. This year, I think I've been preaching to myself. Does God really want us to be steadfast? To be committed, connected to God? Or as our text today, to be standing on the rock who is Christ? Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that is why the book of James picks up that, to endure these testings and troubles of life. James opens up the New Testament, as we were already looking at a couple weeks ago, by pleading that we would not be like helpless waves that are blown, that are tossed to and fro by any wind that blows. To be steadfast is to be resting in God alone. No matter what comes, no matter what the pressure, no matter what the test. And in Psalm 17, you can hear that this was on the mind and in the heart of David when he says, Wondrously show us your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Over and over again, you hear of the steadfast love of God. And that ought to be something we cling to, that we're anchored to. Today's message is a call for believers to find their steadfastness in core values in things that won't be changed or, or just flippantly uh, discarded, but in things that matter most to you. Now, the problem is not about core values. The problem is about having the wrong core values. Everybody has their value system. Everyone here, everybody related to you, everybody in your neighborhood, everybody that you listen to on TV or see in movies, Everyone has their set of core values. The issue, again, is not about having core values. It's about having the right ones. Jesus today ends up uh, completing, uh, in, 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 before he completed his perfect work by going to the cross of Calvary, uh, after three years of priestly ministry, Jesus met with his disciples and walked through life with them. He disciplined them, hence they were called disciples. They followed in the way, in the truth, and in the life of Christ. From his perspective, he ended up showing them that there were things that really mattered, and then there were things that didn't. Now, do you know, this might be a little bit personal, but if you would think about it, would you like to switch places with one of the disciples? Do away with your flush toilets and your 5G phones and your microphones and electric lights to be able to walk with Jesus. It's interesting. Even the thought of us having to sacrifice so much. You see what's happening? I'm showing you and revealing to you what are the things that are important to you. Jesus' disciples got a dose of it directly from the one who could discern what is good and what is not good. 
Today we'll examine that full account or that account that he gives and Matthew tells us. From the simple storytelling that he often does to what Jesus uses, some metaphorical applications, he reveals to us what really should be at our heart, at our core, things that we would be willing to die for. It's interesting that in chapter 7, if you uh, look through there... uh, 24 begins, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Well, what words is he talking about? He's talking about the words that God has revealed in Scripture, but he's also talking about the words that he just has given. Now, if you're familiar with me, I'm trying to give you a little context, and that is if, you're, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's considered the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching, if you go back to chapter 5, you can see where he gathers with his disciples and uh, and the Beatitudes begin. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples and he opened his mouth and he taught them, blessed are the poor. And then he says, blessed are the Uh, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he goes on and he starts talking about being salt and being light. And he talks about how Jesus came to fulfill the law, how he said that anger ought not to run your life. He tells us about the importance of marriage and about oaths and about, uh, about not taking retaliation or vengeance into our own hands. He talks about being different, loving your enemies instead of hating them, giving to the needy. And then he says, hey, Your relationship with God, it needs to be intimate. And he says, when you pray, talk to your father. Don't just talk to God. And he goes on a little bit more and he says, including fasting. When you're really serious about something and you do without so you can stay focused, God is paying attention. And he says, this is how you fast. And then he says, make sure that you don't get seduced by the treasures of the earth, but lay up your treasures in heaven. And that's why you don't need to be anxious or you don't even have to judge everybody else because God's going to have that judgment seat. He says in chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. And he says, do unto others as, they would have, as you would have them do unto you. And he says, but beware. And this is what surprised me in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of the false prophets who come to you as if they are sheep. Beware of the ones who are in the crowd of sheep. He says, they, are, they have sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous like wolves. He says, you will recognize them if you look. And so Jesus is teaching them about being discerning, about what's going on, and being fruit inspectors. And then he says in verse 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. Jesus is, is telling us that there is a division it's not about those who just perform, but it, he, he says it here, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And it's really kind of interesting because he says, there's going to be that judgment. And at that judgment, he is going to say, I never knew you if he didn't know you. And then he's going to say, go away. These are harsh words. And this is the context for, the, for our text today. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, everyone that just heard the Sermon on the Mount and does them is wise. But the, and, and it's like a person who built his house on the rock. 
But in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not implement them into their life, does not build them into their core values, is going to be like the foolish man who had a house on sand. And he says, the, the destination for both is quite different. Now, having said that, I want to highlight a couple of things for you. When I first heard this text, I was a little kid, and they did it in the form of a song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. You know the song, some of you. Uh, but then it also the second verse. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Now, the reason I'm repeating this is that you will remember this sermon because you'll remember the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the... You already caught on. When the rains come down and the floods come up, what happens to the house on the sand? Smash. It's always fun to sing it as a kid. It's really sad when you think about it as somebody's life. Somebody's life just crashed. Somebody's life just couldn't bear through it. Somebody is so miserable that they'll entertain suicide or they'll grasp onto different worldly alternatives, secular ideas. They'll create false gospels. It's really sad when you see them crash, when you see them breathe their last with no hope. They truly are the foolish ones. Now, our text is going to be explained pretty quick with three simple things. If you have the fourth point sheet, you can follow along. The first point is Jesus taught about our core values by means of comparison. Secondly, he says Jesus taught about our core values by means of contrast. And third, Jesus taught the core values by means of condemnation. Now, these, these are different techniques, uh, but they're very effective. If you look quickly and you follow along with me, you're going to find that when Jesus was bringing this up, when he was teaching people about what really matters and what doesn't, uh, he ends up saying there's some, a comparison. And the comparison compares three things. Uh, it is, I found it kind of interesting. It compares that, that, that the folks in this world, they all hear, they all build, and they all get tested. That's what everybody has in common. You can compare. You can look around this world. You can see anybody that you've ever, that's ever had a heartbeat. They get to hear some voices. They get to build some kind of edifice out of their life, their core values, their purpose for living, and they get to be tested. Now, if you look at that uh, uh, text, if, if I take you back to um, verse 21, leading up to verse 25, Four, uh, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, when, when you go back and you look, Jesus has already been teaching folks that it's not about just doing works. It's about doing his words. How can you do his words if you don't know what they are? Now, in this particular text, I just was showing that Christ was teaching us about core values by saying, hey, we're all kind of in the same boat. If you look at the, at the two, the comparison, there's person A and person B. Person A, they have ears to hear. Person B has ears to hear. 
Okay, if you look at, at a little bit further, you're going to find that metaphorically, person A gets to build his life and person B gets to build his life. And if you look at, at, uh, at, at the same thing, that, that in the metaphorical picture or in the metaphor of them building their house, the building their life, then, then that person A has to go through trouble, troubles and, and struggles. And guess what? Person B, he goes, through he goes through personal struggles as well. Now, once I've shown you these things, let me read it in the text and you'll see it. And then we'll move to the next point, which is uh, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 24. Everyone who hears the words of mine, in other words, they have ears, uh, then they are like a wise person who gets to build. Now, this person gets to build a house, okay, and they, and they get to build a house wherever they want to build it, right? It, it, that's pretty much what looks, because in verse 26, everyone who hears, got ears, uh, they, they, um, they don't end up doing the works of God, but they still get to build. If you look there, it says uh, at the end of verse 26, um, they, were, they are like the foolish man who builds his house as well. Now, if you look at verse 25 and verse 27, you'll see that the rains fall, the floods come, and the winds blow. There's three kinds of testings that are commonplace to everybody. Now, I wanted to be able to be metaphorical myself, but the scripture doesn't tell us exactly. But, but in order to make the point for you, um, the one, one trouble comes from above. It's the water that comes down. Then the, the, the next part is the water that comes up. Okay, And then the third thing is the winds that blow. It's as if they blow sideways. And uh, in, if, if you remember reading the book that we gave out last Father's Day, there was talking about the three voices that are kind of haunting you. And uh, this week it was brought to my recollection by somebody in the church that ended up rereading the book and found it to be so edifying. Because if you remember, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're coming at you. Now, who's worse? The world, the flesh, or the devil? That's a kind of a trick question. Now, I, I was helping to, for me to be able to kind of remember this a little bit better. When the rain comes down and it gets in your way, I, I picture like driving, driving my car and we went through a bad storm. And you have to have windshield wipers because it'll blind you. The, the stuff that comes down, it just makes your sight not be able to... You can't trust your eyes anymore. You can't see. And it's almost like, uh, it's, it's almost like the lust of, the, of your own flesh. It's like the whole issue about you. You can be easily blinded. You can be easily deceived. You can easily uh, misunderstand things because you're leaning on your own understanding. And the rains that come down on your life, they come in lots of different facets, but they affect you and your ability to see. Now, the waters that come up, I always pictured that, that the waters that come up are not just one drop at a time. If you've ever stood in a place, and when we had the hurricanes come in Florida, I remember going into a house after the flood came in up five feet in a person's house. It was the chairman of our deacons. And it had, it had uh, sewer water mixed in it, so it really stunk. And uh, the only thing that he was ever to value in his house was everything that was above that water line. He had a couple pictures on the wall that were high enough. But I was just thinking about... The water that comes up is, is really the collection of all the drops. And, it, and I picture that like the world. When the world has pressure, it has its, its popular, popularity things. It has its fads. It has its, its, uh, its, its zeitgeist. It has its pressures. It has its, uh, um, like right now we're in postmodernism. It has its flavors that come. 
the latest and greatest of how the world is moving. You see, many times the pressures and struggles that you face in life are because of the people seemingly getting together. Or as Psalm 2 says, the leaders take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, and they move against the Christians. And that's where some of the testing comes. And that's why Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed. You see, the world is, is almost like the flood that comes up, and it, 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 makes, you in, it makes you stuck. It, gets, it may even sweep you away, and it may destroy. But then the other one that comes is the winds that blow. Now, in, in, this, in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it is, it says that every wind of doctrine... Now, when I was thinking about that, how do you get blown around with every wind of doctrine? Well, that's usually when somebody or something is spewing out some deception, some kind of teaching, because the word doctrine means teaching. And so if you go into the book of Titus or in Timothy, Paul is constantly telling the preacher boys, make sure you teach what's good for sound doctrine. And he warns people, don't be carried about with false doctrine. And he even encourages the ladies, don't get into gossip and some of these other things. He should have told the men the same. Stay on solid doctrine. But he says that in, in this testing that you find in this world, it's not the truth and that good teaching that, that makes your house collapse. When the rains come down, which is the stuff that blinds you, when the waters come up, which is the world that pressures you, and when the winds that blow of deception, which is, I think, Satan saying, hey, it's not so bad. You can be like God. Oh, you can try that out. Oh, it's not so bad to, to do that. The wind of false doctrines is the winds of deception. And that's why I believe even before Jesus did verse 24, he did verse 15, Beware, disciples. Those of you that follow me, beware. They're going to come around and they're going to look like they're just like you. They're going to be in sheep's clothing. They're going to use some of the same language of sheep. Bah, bah, bah. But their heart is not with Jesus. And he says, you have to have eyes to see. The testing is going to come. Your foundation is going to be shaken. And so he says, what everyone has in common is that they have ears to hear what God has revealed. And uh, what God has revealed to everybody is, is general revelation. And I can do two texts for you. Psalm 19, which is, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day after day utters a kind of speech. And night following night is kind of a, a knowledge that he's revealing to you. He says there's no people group, not even in Papua New Guinea, where this knowledge isn't known. They all know that there is a God out there. And in fact, Romans chapter 1, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of knowing God, he says that and if you look at Romans chapter 1, I believe it's uh, right there at the beginning of the text, you're going to, in, in there, verses 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, I think it's in 21, he ends up saying that the world is without excuse. Hey, all these people that are on this world, whether they are person A or person B, everybody can, everybody's guilty of knowing that there is a God. The fingerprints of God are that evident. Whew. When you realize that, then that's why Paul says in Romans 1, he says that's why God gives them over to unclean thoughts, to do things that are unseemly. And he lists all the stuff about the wages of sin that come, that follows. 
Now, that is the commonality. Now, the second point, if you're following in the text, it talks about the contrast. Yes, all person A and person B, they all have the same kind of thing. All of us, even our kids, even our spouse, even us, even our grandparents, uh, everybody pretty much has an ear to hear what God has revealed, general revelation, and they have, as I said before, they have the opportunity to choose what they value and then to be tested in it. The second thing that you find is the contrast. The contrast is even shorter because there's only two things that are contrasted. And that is, uh, Jesus says there's two kinds of people. Uh, he, he says, he says the, um, the ones that are hearers that re react differently. And then he says there's two kinds of builders. Okay, and then because there's two kinds of builders, there's two results for those builders. So the contrast when you read the text, which we really focus on, is first is that the hearers will heed, but the listeners will leave. Let me just go ahead and repeat that because I like that phrasing. The hearers will actually heed while the listeners will actually leave. If you look at verse 25, um, Jesus is, or verse 24, everyone who hears these words and does them, when the people hear it and they heed, they do it, then that's different from the people in verse 26, and everyone who hears and doesn't heed or leaves, there's a big contrast. Which one are you? When you hear the word of God, do you obey it or do you leave it behind? Do you say, oh, that's nice? And move on. There is another contrast that he gives at the end in verse uh, at the end of verse twenty four and the end of verse twenty six. He says the ones the ones who hear and heed they are called they're labeled as wise or prudent, while the contrast is seen the people who hear or that listen and leave they are considered foolish. Now, if you're a wise builder or a prudent builder, guess what happens? Your house is going to remain even after all the testing comes. But if you're a foolish builder, then guess what happens? When all the testing comes, your house will smash. That's the big contrast. Now, I have to just stop here and say, there's one more thing, you know, because everybody seems to have a life. I brought some Legos here where they want to build their, their ideas on on the stuff that they get in their life. This is the one person's life, and this is the other person's life. Just put them together like that. Person A and person B, they've, they've built their foundation. They, they've taken the things that they've learned in this life. They learned it from mom and dad, or they've learned it not from mom and dad. If you had a drunk for a parent, you'd probably say, I don't want to do that. I'd hope you conclude that. So you would have some foundations and some core values in your life that you're not going to be addicted or you're not going to fall under the oppression of something. And so you end up setting up certain values in your life. That's person A and person B. You always set up your values based on some voice that's speaking to your life. And Jesus says, hey, these are the words from God. These are my words. I came into this world that you might have this life and have it more abundantly. And so when the words are before you, when the word of God is open to you, then you should build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's different than the other people who build their house on their own understanding. Even Solomon in chapter 3, he says, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own foundation of your own thoughts, of your own conclusions. But rather, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Talk to the Lord about it. And God will give you the path for your life because the core values are already there. You're going to do God's bidding, not yours. 
Now, I told you this great big contrast that is there. You can see the big difference, but there's, there's something that was missing in, in understanding this text. Because everybody got ears, but not everybody had the same response. As I was saying, some of them had ears to hear, and then they heeded. But some of them had ears to hear, and they fled. What's the difference? Hmm. Some of you could give me the theological statement and say, well, some were elect and some weren't. Okay. I can show you in Scripture that that's some of it. But it doesn't give you the explanation of how it unfolds. The text here is not talking about election. It's talking about faith. You see, and this is something that, that Romans chapter 10 brings out. If you bring up that verse, uh, there is going to be a, a reality that, that when it goes in the ear to hear... And then it's going to be in your hands to, to do. Remember I talk about the head, the heart, and the hands? It goes in the head by hearing the words of God or by processing and thinking it through. And then it's going to be in your hands, which is you're applying, you're doing the very thing. Well, there's a step in the middle. Your heart. Okay? When Jesus is speaking these words, he says, I'm giving you all these words. But why doesn't everybody just do what he told them to do? If Jesus told you to give $1,000 today, would you do it? Well, that's a little much. Do you, the reason I give you a, a real-life illustration is to say, do you hesitate? Oh, well, Jesus would never ask me to do that. What would he ask you to give? Maybe a widow's mite. That was what was taught to our children in Sunday school this morning. Why was the widow's mite more valuable than the extra money that the other people gave, which was just a little tiny portion of their excess? What's the difference? What we were trying to teach there in Sunday school, what I'm trying to teach now is the heart. Something happens in the heart. And in Romans it says, so faith comes by hearing the word of God and hearing. And then it's, it goes on later in chapter 10. It says that with your heart, uh, faith changes in the heart. See, do you have that text there? Then in Romans chapter 10, I want to read it for you. And that is a, uh, we're going to end up preaching on it when we get through Romans coming backwards. But he says, uh, uh, how can they believe, uh, verse 14, how can they call on him of whom they've not believed? How are they to believe on him of they, they've not heard? How are they to hear how can they hear the truth without someone preaching it to them? And how can they preach unless God sends somebody? So it's written, how beautiful are the feet who, who bring good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Do you see how it's moving from hearing to obeying? From heeding to or from hearing to heeding. And now we want to have the explanation given. So he goes a little further and he says, um, for Isaiah said, who has believed uh, what they have heard of us? And verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. But I ask, have they not all heard? Indeed, they all have. Uh, for their voice has gone out to the earth and the, the world's to the end of the world. And then he says, but I ask, didn't Israel understand? I mean, Moses said so, and then Isaiah, verse 20, said so. But he ends up going on, he says, that one believes in the heart. He says, one believes in the heart, and then he'll be saved. In verse 10, that's where I'm at, Romans 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth 
one confesses and is saved. I just want to drive this point home to you, is that the heart is something you can't miss. The heart has to be changed. Now, I believe from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that the way God takes a hard heart, a stony heart, he changes it because he infuses something in it that it needs. He gives it a jump start, if you will, a CPR, one of those paddles, you know, and somebody gets that shock. I call that regeneration. All the parts are already there. But when God works on you, you, once you were dead in sins and trespasses, now he has made you alive in Christ. And now what seemed to be blind, now you can see. You hear about that amazing grace because that's what God does to you. He starts a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, and he finishes it. But when that work is started, he takes that hard heart and he gives you a softened one that starts, that beats for him. When I look at this particular text, you find all the people hearing and you have all the people ending up doing. But the ones who do the words of God are the ones who have a heart for God, who have faith. I finish with the third point, the condemnation. This is always an effective point if you're a teacher. You're going to go to hell! It works. I haven't used it very much because I don't like to twist your, uh, twist your emotions around. Jonathan Edwards did a great job of it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You're just like a little, a little uh, thing dangling on a spider's web over the cauldron of God's wrath. Now, when he painted this picture, some people were already feeling the heat. It was almost like there was some of the ugliness of hell was starting to seep up. You could smell the stench and you were like, oh no, I want to go to heaven. Now if they did an altar call at that point, probably everybody would come forward. I'm not big into manipulation at all, but I want to tell you that you already know the language of condemnation. You already know it. I started off the sermon by saying we used to celebrate as kids and the house on the sand went smash. And we enjoyed it. We tried to make the biggest sound we could. But now that I'm telling you what it means, that means a life that's destroyed. Somebody you know. Maybe even the person in the mirror. The condemnation that he's giving us is saying that if you build your house, you build your core values on things that are perishable, on wood, hay, and stubble, then when the, when the troubles of this world come, whether it's the, the flesh, whether it's the world, or whether it's the devil, you are not going to be able to survive. The storm is going to overtake you because the storm is the conglomerate of all of it. The first time I went through a hurricane, I guess it was Ivan, and we were up in the middle of the night when that Sounded like freight train rain, uh, freight train coming through. <laughs> I've told you the story about we had a flashlight because all the electricity was out, and we had this beam of light shining out the kitchen window of our brick house. Thought it was better since we were we were like the three little pigs. We were in a brick house. But I had this light shining out, and the tree, the big 35-foot tree that was right outside the yard that had all these leaves and all these branches. It was a beautiful tree for shade. The tree looked like it had it, it was moving. Like the ground that it was in had a heartbeat because the tree would move as the ground went up and it would go down. And of course, that was the roots from underneath lifting up and go down. And I'm like, whoa. I didn't really feel bold to go out into the storm. When the rains come down and the floods come up, 
You're going to go through the testing like everybody else goes through the testing. Is your house going to smash or is it going to stand on the rock? James tells us in chapter 1, my brothers and sisters, you Christians that are trusting in Christ, you're resting in what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, he died. James was writing probably AD 45. He says probably it was about 15 years ago. Some of you even were alive when he died on the cross and you saw the earth shake and you saw the clouds and you, I mean, you saw Jesus on the cross breathe his last. But you know he rose from the dead. And you're trusting in him for eternal life. And he says, my brothers, those of you that are going through this storm of this world's pressure on you, whether it's coming from down, from above, or from up below, or whether it's coming sideways at you, he says, count it all joy. He almost says, take a breath. Exhale. Count it all joy. Because what your foundation is, it's on the rock. If I took a few more minutes, I'd show you through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Jesus was the rock. You can find in the Old Testament, you find lots of other texts about the rock. But I just want to give you David's thought. 2 Samuel 22. I learned it in a song. Chapter 23 is when David gives his very last words before he dies. So this is David as an old man. He's already served his 40 years as king. He's, already in, he's got all the memories of fighting Goliath and even probably the bigger obstacle was trying to overcome his brother's shaming of him before the Goliath. That was probably pretty hard. But when David finishes, he says, I know where I'm standing. The Lord is my rock. And the song that's picked up on there, it's a song that's from the text. He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. When your life comes to an end, when you're writing the last chapter, will you be singing that same song? Will you be able to say that I have had a house that's built on the rock? That my core values have always been in Christ alone? If not, today is the day of salvation. I'm telling you, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't come up with alternatives. Don't believe the deception that blows in at you and takes you here and there. Let me tell you, the world right now is telling you that you need to wear a mask or in our state, everybody has to, I guess it's a mask, except if you go to church. I don't quite understand that. The world is telling you that what you really are needing to worry about and st struggle for is to have a long earthly life. Eh. A long earthly life is not worthy to compared with everlasting life. I got to finish. Psalm 1. It's on the back of your bulletin card. You can see it. Um, it's in the back of the fourth point. These words that Jesus gave, it's really quite interesting. Listen to how it echoes exactly what Christ said. Blessed is the man who has a foundation. 
Okay, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand with those sinners. And he doesn't sit with the people who scoff and mock. Isn't that interesting? Why does the psalmist tell us this? Because if you look at the last verse of verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous person, A, but the way of the unrighteous person, the wicked person, the one who's leaning on his own understanding, person B, the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see the language of condemnation? Let me tell you one that you already know. You can finish this verse with me from the New King James. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would be resting in him would not perish. You see, Jesus used the language of condemnation because there is a judgment seat. There is a day when you're going to meet with your Savior or you're going to meet with your judge. I want to encourage you. What, today is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are lots of things that could be said. But I pray today that the idea that our lives might be smashed would make people want to run away from building their life on sand. Lord, the interesting thing in that analogy is that both person A and person B built a beautiful house. They thought that their life was fine. But when the storms came, when they had to endure the world, the flesh, and the devil, they would find out that the shifting sands were like sandcastles. They're beautiful for the moment, but when you go back to look at them tomorrow, they're gone. Lord, I pray that instead of us pretending to have beautiful lives that are sandcastles, I pray that we might have an edifice that is built on Christ alone. I do pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our, house, of our hearts, that the actions, the, he, the hearing will lead to heeding. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would not be deceived by whatever comes. Help us to always know that your words are sure and steadfast. And that is why we should be like David and say, blessed be the rock, the God of my salvation. In Jesus' name I give thanks. Amen.